Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that you find listed. We're continuing our parables segment in this series on the life and ministry of Jesus as told by Luke. Parables are stories with powerful spiritual lessons that are attached to them. They nearly always accompany teachings as a way to illustrate how to apply those teachings to your life. Now, obviously, we can't cover every parable that Jesus taught, but we're highlighting four. And we started the first week with a parable on persistent prayer. And we learned that Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer to his disciples as a model, which both identifies us as followers of Christ, but also serves to show us how we can pray boldly. Those bold, persistent prayers stem from a relationship that we have with God. And it's because of that relationship that God can, and I believe he will, answer those prayers. And then we looked at three short parables that Jesus taught regarding his return. He is returning one day, and it's important for us to be ready and to be prepared and to be expecting his return as well and be doing what God has asked us to do. In fact, knowing what God will do should affect what we do. And as the days grow darker and we get closer to Christ's return, it is vitally important that we stay faithful in our walk with Jesus. Now, today we're moving on to Luke chapter 14. And I want to set the scene for us that's unfolding in the first six verses. Jesus has accepted an invitation from one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, to have dinner at his house. And so he's heading over to this dinner with his followers and some other guests as well. And what should have been a pleasant evening is actually really rife with tension. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not someone who likes that. Like, I don't like tension. I want people to get along. I want us to, you know, like each other, work together, all that kind of stuff. Clearly, there's tension, though, and there is an undercurrent of tradition and pride and selfishness at this dinner, and it's stemming from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Here's the thing about Jesus. You know, he's not constrained by human standards. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, right? He's not constrained by expectations that are assigned by rules and ritual. He's all about God's kingdom, specifically bringing us into God's kingdom, uh, a heaven invading earth kind of thing. And that's clearly a huge part of the tension that exists between him and the Pharisees. In fact, it shows as soon as Jesus arrives to this dinner. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse number seven. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? Then the host will come and say, give this person your seat and you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Luke chapter 14, verse 10, he says, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he'll come and he'll say, friend, you have a better place for you. And then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And then those who humble themselves, well, they're going to be exalted. Yeah. 
Jesus is watching these guys all jockey for the best positions of honor. You know, every culture has its own seating etiquette and pecking order. And in Jesus' day, the guests with the highest honor sat to the left of the host, while the next most honored guest sat to the host's right. And this pattern would repeat all the way around the table. So obviously, you're, you're on the bottom of the totem pole if you're at the other end of the table, okay? Uh, you you kind of get this picture that these guys are, are looking at each other and are staring each other down, checking each other out. Who's got, uh, who's got the coveted position of honor there? You know, whose pride is taking a big hit because they're not closer to Jesus? And this gives an opportunity to teach on humility. And he warns how pride will backfire and, and make us selfish. I think we can all agree with that, right? That pride makes us selfish. That seems pretty clear enough. You know, if you study the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Christ's day in the first century, you get the feeling these guys not only compare their own value to others to determine seats and places of honor, but they also compared their worthiness to God. They were very works-oriented. They perceived value and worth uh, coming from things they did for God, okay? And so in all honesty, like that is not entirely bad. Like it's great to do things for God. I want you to do good things for the Lord and, 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 and right but 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 where the road diverges is the idea that God's gonna judge you based on those works he doesn't judge your worth or your value based on what you do for him okay he doesn't assign us rank and honor by those standards those are human standards now his point at the dinner party reveals the key to honor in God's kingdom and here's what the key is it's humility Humility gets you on the fast track to promotion in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, he became the ultimate picture of humility when he left his throne to become one of us, to die for us, so we could be free from sin and from darkness. That's Philippians 2, 5 and 11, right? That really ought to have us thinking, how often do you size up a room? <laughs> how often do you try to take a position of honor? How often do you assign your value and your worth by the good things that you do? I'll go a step further. How often do you look at others and think, man, I, I've, I've got some struggles for sure, but I'm not like that guy. I should be in this position. I should have this influence because I understand God better. I know more. I live a more godly lifestyle. You know, like what's that line of thinking reveal? What well, reveals that you've fallen into the sinful trap of comparison. When we compare we let pride take over and it backfires. We lose. We lose our joy. We lose our contentment. We lose the fruit of God's spirit. We miss the fact that our job is to bring people into God's kingdom. The priests and the Levites who assisted with the temple duties and ministries, like their job was to follow God's law and teach that law to others. It wasn't rocket science. You teach people about God, how to worship God, how to connect with God, because you want them to know know God, right? Like our first pillar at Radiant Church is we, we want everybody to know God. But when Jesus rolls on the scene, they've forgotten that. The leadership was completely political in his day, the, 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 the temple leadership. The most powerful religious leaders were part of a group called the Sadducees, who had close ties to Rome, and it kept them in positions of power. They didn't even believe in the supernatural. <laughs> they were closet atheists, man. They actually didn't give two licks about Jesus until Lazarus comes back to life because, you know, the supernatural is <laughs> dead people don't come back to life. What's up with that? Then they had a problem. 
The Pharisees, they followed God's law. They believed in God, but they were just as political and power hungry. They added hundreds of additional regulations and rituals to burden the masses while not applying the same standards to themselves. Hypocrite, right? Yeah. Pride, it corrupts. It takes you off mission. It doesn't elevate you. It destroys you. Pride backfires. Now, Jesus next turns his attention to the Pharisee who hosted the dinner. Look at verse number 12. Then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors. They'll invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, why don't you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then at the resurrection of the righteous, Now, this is the second coming, which is Christ's return here, okay? God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. There is a reason that Jesus takes a moment to speak directly to the host. He wants him to understand that he's to use his high ranking and status for the benefit of others and not for himself. So instead of inviting all the who's who and the social elites and the politically connected, why not bring in the hungry? the cripple, the poor, the people who are often referred to as, you know, those people. <laughs> we don't have a problem with the folks in need. You know, like we, we line up to help people in those situations. What we have to watch for as Christians is actually labeling people who are far from God as those people. The danger in following Jesus as a flawed human being, very key here, okay, is we have a natural inward drift towards people who are just like us. That that, that makes sense, right? Because we connect with like-minded people all the time. We do it as sports fans and our politics with our hobbies. But those things aren't eternal, are they? I actually had a person one time that came up to me and said, Pastor, we we need a church etiquette class. I've never never heard of this before. (laughs) And so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got all these people coming to church and they don't know how to act. And what this person was getting at was we had numerous people coming to Jesus who were far from God. They were new in their faith, and it made them uncomfortable. Why? Well, because they dressed differently. They spoke differently. They behaved differently. I mean, I had one guy who would vape in the back row because he thought it was okay. <laughs> okay? Like, I'm in the back row. It's not, you know, I get it. But what they didn't need was an etiquette course. I promise you they didn't need that. What they did need and they did receive was discipleship. They need someone to help them grow in their faith, to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to do life together. They needed someone to be compassionate. And that's the one thing that we know about Christ, right? Like he was, he was absolutely compassionate. We know that we're supposed to help those who who can't repay us. We know that we're supposed to care for those who are the the victims of injustice. We know we're supposed to have this love for all people regardless of their backgrounds. And that's, that's the hard part, right? It's hard to love and care for folks and be compassionate to people who aren't like you. And yet the, the lesson that Christ is trying to get across can, can change you if you let it, right? You can live out a compassionate, kingdom-minded life today. Stop the constant demeaning of others that you disguise as sarcasm. Stop the racial innuendos and jokes. Stop judging and discriminating. Look at the refugee, the black or white woman, the homosexual, the trans person, the liberal Democrat, the, the hardline Trump supporter, the rich, the poor, the educated, the non-educated. Look at all these people who are different than you. And look at them the way that Christ does with compassion. You know, compassion blesses us and it makes us sensitive to other people. 
Jesus never let his eternal mission keep him from being compassionate. If we can be like Christ, if we can be compassionate like that, oh my goodness, can I, like not only will we change, but we'll begin to see other people change as well. I would rather err on the side of grace and compassion than on judgment. You know, and if that makes me soft, if it makes me like a watered down in my teaching, well, I guess that I'm in good company because Christ did the exact same thing. Like we're to be compassionate to other people. We hold those who know better to a higher standard, of course, but we're compassionate to those who are far from God. And in showing compassion, we make connections that God can use to change hearts and lives for eternity. It's probably not enjoying the rising tension himself, there's this random guy who kind of tries to bring everybody together. <laughs> He's that guy at the party, you know, and he shouts out, hey, how about that kingdom? All right, that's going to be great, isn't it? And that's when Jesus tells the story. Look at verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. You know, he's totally doing this for <laughs> just, just to ease the tension. And so Christ replies to the story, you know, a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet's ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, you know, I just bought a field and I have to go inspect it. Can I, can I, you know, please excuse me, excuse me. Another one said, well, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> you can kind of relate to that a little bit, right? Verse 21, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious. And so he said, go quickly to the streets of the town and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. These are those people, all right? The people who are far from God in our world today. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come. So the house will be full. For none of those I first invited, very key here, will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now there's a really interesting take on this story. And it's possible that Christ is giving us a picture of Israel and their rejection of him, while also conveying the importance of showing compassion. Three excuses are given from some key guests who are invited to the party. It's important to know too, the servant being sent with invitations, it's like having RSVP, okay? Notice when the meal is ready, he makes his rounds to let everyone know it's, it's time to party. And what's implicit from a cultural norm here is that all those guys accepted the invitation first. This is key here, okay? They were coming, but now they're backing out in the last minute. So the first guy, he can't come because, well, he bought a field, right? I mean, it's a field. It's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Why would he drop out in the last minute? Well, he seems to be much more concerned about his financial investment than the special dinner he was supposed to attend and that he said he would come to. The second guy, he can't come because he just bought five pairs of oxen. And he said he was coming, but he just can't get away from plowing those fields with that oxen. You know, like he's valuing his work above the special time with the host that he already agreed to, uh, to, to, to come to, right? The third guy I kind of struggle a little bit with, he, he just got married. That seems pretty understandable, <laughs> right? Until you remember, again, he accepted the invitation earlier. He was coming too. 
Let me tell you this relates to Israel, and then I'll make the connection to us, okay? Israel was more than ready for their Savior when Christ got onto the scene in the first century. They had been through the ringer of oppression for centuries. Messianic passages were wildly popular in Christ's day. Nationalism and devotion to God were in bed together. It was God and country on a really high level. Multiple people had claimed to be the Messiah, tried to fulfill Scripture, and man, they, had, they just massively, miserably failed. God, he had disclosed in the Old Testament what he was going to do through a coming Savior. And the people of Israel were looking forward to it with anticipation. They want it to happen now. Like they were ready to accept the invite. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. Here he is, the Messiah, right in front of them. And the nation's leadership, political and spiritual, they reject him. They back out of their support and acceptance, much like the three people in the story back out of their you know, RSVP, right, to this dinner. So what does the host do? Well, he goes to the least desirables in the community, the poor, the crane, uh, the lame, the crippled, right? And, and even after all those folks arrive, he's like, man, I got way more food and way more room. So he sends his servant out to the far country areas, the highways and byways, right? And brings the guests in. This is exactly what happens after the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, the kingdom of God expand, and it includes Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And all throughout the book of Acts, which is Luke's, you know, part two, so to speak, of the story of Christ, you read about people coming to know and follow Jesus all across the Roman Empire. So notice how, you know, he crafts the story to allow the Pharisees and religious leaders at the dinner feel empathy for the host. The man in the story reacted the way that any godly person would have in that situation, right? He helps those who couldn't help themselves. However, Jesus is also communicating that they've misplaced their assurance of having a seat of honor in God's kingdom. It is not based on works. It's not based on their Jewish heritage. It's based on humbly accepting the invitation that God extends to us to join Him. Now, here's how this connects to you and I today, okay? The host in the parable is God. And he set aside Israel as his own. He invited them to his kingdom. But you can only enter the kingdom of God by accepting the Lord's invitation. You can't enter on your own merit. If you fail to respond to God's call, your place, it'll be given to people who will respond to it. So what does that mean? It means we have to choose. When presented this invitation, salvation calls to us, right? Are you going to accept the invite or not? Are you going to acquiesce to the demands of the life you're trying to build in this world? Will you, you know, work to build your repertoire and elevate your status? Will you focus on clamoring for respect among all our little groups that we're a part of, you know, at the expense of reaching people who are not part of God's kingdom yet? I think a question this parable really asks of us is this. What is the nature of my commitment to God's kingdom? Is God really the priority in your life or not? Is it lip service? Is it just part of being a good Christian American? You know, is it, is it to feel better about yourself that perhaps your morals are in line? Is, it, is, it, is God really everything to you? Is he loved? Is he valued? Can you really say that you're pursuing him above everything and anything and anyone else? What if we could understand the effects of our pride? You know, what if we stopped jockeying for a position? What if we quit comparing ourselves to other people? What if we allowed compassion to be restored in our lives to bless people and to see and give like Jesus? What if we accepted God's invitation of salvation to us today? This is a time to ask God to forgive us for being prideful 
and hard instead of humble and compassionate. It's a time to accept the invitation to join Him in His kingdom. May we find ourselves in pursuit of God above all else, reaching those people who are not yet a part of His kingdom. Here's what I want to do today as we kind of wrap things up. Wherever you're watching or listening from, listen, if you'd say, Pastor, I hear all this, and I'll be honest, I don't think I'm a part of God's kingdom. I want to extend an invitation to you. I don't know if you'll have many more after this, so pay attention. We're not even guaranteed one special invite. But here's yours. There's an invitation for you to become part of God's kingdom. Become part of this great banquet that God is preparing. What do you do with it? For those of you who say, man, I'm ready to receive that. I'm going to respond to it. I want in. I'm going to lead you in a a prayer. We're going to make Christ our Lord and Savior. You say this prayer in your own words as I'm saying it. I'm going to model it for you, but I want you to say it from your heart in your own words. We're going to make Him Lord and Savior of our lives. And then I want to come back and pray for those of us who are Christians today who find that perhaps we're not reaching those far from God like we thought. Perhaps we're like the Pharisees and we're jockeying for a position and we're kind of, we're very inward in our focus and we're, we've kind of gotten off track. I want to pray that God gets you back on mission today, okay? So Father, I thank you for those who are watching and listening today. I pray for those who say, Pastor, I, I'm ready to be part of God's kingdom. I'm going to accept that invite, Lord, uh, for them. I pray that, that, that they will uh, be a part of your kingdom. If that's you, you're going to say a prayer like this. It says, Lord... I am sorry for my sin. Forgive me for the wrongs that I've done. Forgive me, God, for you know, not measuring up to your standards. I, I have done things I'm not proud of. I, I know, Lord, what I've done is, has been in violation of you and your standard. And I pray that you'd forgive me for what I've committed. I need a new start. I need new life. And I know that you died for me and for my sin. And so, God, I'm, I'm asking that you'll forgive me and save me. Be my Savior today. And I've done things my own way, and I've tried doing things uh, on my own path and chart my own course, and I've realized over the years that that doesn't work either. And so, Lord, I'm done living for myself. Today, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to commit myself to following you. I'm going to commit myself to obeying you. I'm submitting myself, my life to you. Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you teach me? Will you be the Lord of my life? My life is no longer my own today, God. I give it all over to you. Lord, for those who are already believers today, but they realize that they've been off mission, God, would you get them back on track? Help them to understand the importance of reaching those who are far from you, of bringing them in from the highways and byways, right, into your kingdom. God, I pray that we wouldn't jockey for a position. We wouldn't clamor for, for, for respect. I pray we wouldn't get caught up in stupid squabbles that have no eternal consequence. Help us to be on mission, on task, on point, because there's a world that's lost and in need of a Savior. And I pray that we're able to bring people into your kingdom, that every invitation we extend on your behalf God is not turned away. We pray it's accepted and that folks will come to know you. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.